I'll yeah. get Jesse to call you before you go, okay? All right. All right. Yeah. Hey, you're on the pod. What's up, man? Hey, yo, bro. What's up, bro? Oh, okay. So, um. <laughs> yeah, I'll just send it to them. And then they can take care of it. Okay, cool. Thank you. All right. Cool. I'll talk to you later. Don't call me. I'm on my pod. Yeah, but put your phone on Do Not Disturb. I am on Do Not Disturb. He just called me uh, twice. He, called me twice. He, he didn't call me twice. I am on Do Not Disturb. Maybe, I think some contacts, they go straight to your call. The favorite? Maybe. Uh, oh, Kenny's a favorite. Am I? I think he is a favorite. <laughs> You're a favorite be. too. Am I? Yes. Okay, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Not A Genius Podcast. My name is Jesse Wynn. I'm your host. My name is Josh Hutton. I'm your co-host. This is the podcast. Welcome. It's been a long time coming to get to this point. We took like the last two hours to set up all of our equipment, and we're super excited to find out we didn't even have the mic stands, the mic stands, the microphone arms, whatever you call them. But it's okay because I was really inspired by my wife. She told me, "If you guys don't start today, you guys will never start." And I was just like, "Praise Jesus, Hallelujah!" <laughs> and today, the structure of the podcast, you know, we're going to talk about. Uh, me as your host and then next week we're going to talk about josh and then we're gonna have an introduction for him as well and the week after that we're gonna start interviewing people interviewing oh my gosh you guys this is this is guy actually no he's not just any guy he's my partner my partner kenny and then my life partner maybe maybe we will get my wife on the podcast i can't beat the person that i am without her so um just got married too I know. There's a lot of things to talk about. We got a lot, a lot of things to talk about, but we'll take it one week, one week, one day at a time. And today, I guess we'll just start by introducing ourselves. Um, I guess I'll, I'll introduce myself first. All right, Jesse. How was your workout this morning? This morning was good. I went to drop my uncle off. You know, we're still in that startup grind of running a small business. So I got my uncle. He's paying a house for me. I'm paying him by the day. He's excellent. Three, four days, he can get a whole house painted. And I think we would usually pay somebody like three to five thousand dollars to paint an entire house. This guy's doing it for like a thousand. Dang, it's pretty nice deal right there. He's staying at my house. We're feeding him food. I'm dropping off lunch for him. You know, we take good care of this man. So it's not just that we pay him and that's it. But, you know, I drop him off in the morning, 6.45 a.m. Then I head to the gym. I do CrossFit. But I'm not one of those CrossFit type of people that all they do is talk about CrossFit. But, yeah, I was at the, the gym and I did the workout and I was really thinking about not going today. But then I realized... We make all these little micro promises to ourselves every single day, and it's a definition or it's a defining point of our character. And if we don't hold promises to ourselves, how are we able to hold commitments to other people or even big things? So even when you make these small promises to yourself, it's a very big deal to follow through. And I find myself about 25% of the time breaking those promises. So... In the big picture of things, I follow through 75% of the time and I follow through 25% of the time. So I want to be better and I want to be 
90 to 95% follow through and then only let a few things slip through the cracks, but never be perfect. I can never yeah, be perfect. So I can't always be the 100%. I'm going to follow through on everything that I say because things come up. I feel a certain type of way. Like if I wake up and my body is not feeling like doing it and it's not good and I didn't sleep enough the night previously, I got to take those things into account. And it's just not a blanket statement like, oh, you have to work out today. Yeah. It's yeah. not always black and white because there's other factors. But it's funny because this morning I broke my promise of working out. And as I was breaking it, I was I just heard your voice saying, like, talking about breaking promises. Oh, yeah. And I just fell asleep and I'm like, I don't even care. <laughs> I was supposed to go to Glenn, supposed to go to the gym with Glenn. And he was out late last night. So I kind of assumed that he was going to wake up. So I texted him this morning at like 530. Second, he didn't answer. I'm like, all right, I'm going back to sleep. But he doesn't wake up till like six because the gym's right around the corner. So yeah, so you have to drive farther to the gym than he does. I do. So you have to wake up a little bit earlier. I also have like a morning routine. You have a morning routine. Yeah, that I've like I haven't been that consistent. Um, but as of right now, it's really just wake up, pray, do a devotional, read ten pages. If I have time, I'll make a smoothie, and I'll either drink that right after or during my reading. And then I'll go to the gym. Oh, that's super cool, man. Yeah. Yesterday, I just um, found out I like to work from 1 to 5 p.m. More like 2 to 5 p.m. I don't like to really? work the full eight hours. If anything, if I'm, when I consider work is mm. things that I generally do not love to do. Yeah. Or like those are the things that I definitely need to do that other people depend upon me to do. But it's not things that I'm super passionate. It's just uncompetent enough to do it so yesterday i was building out these process diagrams i don't want to bore people on what process diagrams are but yeah. i'm just sitting on the computer grinding this thing now trying to remember all the steps to recreate this process and you know beforehand i was doing everything that you know ordering material or coordinating transactions checking off the boxes holding people accountable i think those things not that I love all those things. I do like holding people accountable to a certain extent. And I like producing results. And I love talking to people and um, serving them and whatever they need. I want to be a support for them. Like those are the things that I really enjoy. And then there's the things that no one else does that I have to do. And no one else can do it at this moment until I can hire that out at least. But So basically mm -hmm. anything that you don't like to do you consider work? Yeah, anything that I don't like to do, I consider work. Or like, I think yesterday I was driving to um, a house to get a home inspection for uh, for us to be able to hang the drywall next. Mm -hmm. And we failed the inspection. No. And I was like, oh, but like by, by like four, um, three or four different things. Okay. So we failed the inspection and then I just burned like two hours of your to, time, like, to like go to this inspection. I hate these things like this is like I'm paying at that moment I'm playing the role of project manager mm -hmm. and I don't love being the project manager I have to order the materials for the houses here and there like I have to get the um I have to get the the numbers together for the financials give to the bookkeeper you know there's a lot of things that I don't like to do when it comes to my business but it's a necessary evil 
that yeah. you have to do. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, to recreate this business. Oh my gosh, this is, this, this will be awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, from like the ground up. Yeah. From the ground up to do it all from scratch. So I have this coach, his name is Clint and then his partner, Tyler. So Clint and Tyler are my coaches and like Tyler runs the entire business. He is the operator or he is the main integrator in Clint. He started the business. He brings in a lot of money. He's the main salesperson. He's kind of like our Kenny. Um, but he used, he used to run a business as well. That was a million dollar business. He was a millionaire before he got into real estate. So he always knew that businesses are generally all the same. They generally consist of a visionary and an integrator. And there's a bunch of other people that are support people that help make systems and processes work. So the two people, the integrator and the visionary does not need to do all the work. So they have this guy, Tyler, who he gets paid pretty well for what he does. And he also became a partner and got an equity stake in Clint's company. Um, the first year, Clint made like a, made a million dollars in wholesale fees. And he was just grinding and hustling, selling to the hedge funds, wholesaling the deals. And then he brings Tyler on board. They have Tyler basically doing all the groundwork, building all the systems, training people, just implementing. I asked Clint, like, what's stopping Tyler from going out and starting his own business, doing every single thing that he's done for you, but for himself? And then Clint's just telling me, dude, if Tyler had to start his own business from the ground up and basically redo everything that we have done, that would take so much time. And then he doesn't have me as well. So it's not just that it's all him, mm-hmm. but he's also missing me as one of the main like visionaries and sales sales people to the organization and it's not that clint doesn't work every single day clint works every single day but he's working on higher level things and things that are not duplicatable or at least like have not had an established process um created so clint's out creating new different systems and processes or implementing new things or supporting his team in different ways but he's not calling for the material he's not doing the small things he's not he might be selling the deals i don't know exactly but he's building a long-term vision he's mm-hmm. building all the key relationships and tyler's not making the key relationships yeah. the same way that clint is because you know clint's been in the business for a while he's also been in other businesses and he has all these other relationships so to make the assumption that you know, you can start this whole business just all over again, just because you have the know-how. Sometimes you just don't have the people. Yeah. Like I've known how to do this business for the last two and a half, three years. And then it, I've known Kenny as well for about two-ish years, like a year into, yeah, about a year into me doing what I was doing. But him and I never came together to partner. And if it never struck a bell to me that, it made sense so much to have somebody like him as a partner. Even at this point, if he left me as a partner, it would be really hard to find somebody that fills that gap the way that he fills that gap. And I'm sure that I could take over some of the things that he does, and we could probably hire out a couple of things that he does. But to find somebody as driven, mm-hmm. as motivated, um, as skilled, yeah, yeah and as open-minded with the right mindset to grow and to work with other people like that's a very 
specific and unique individual, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, it's that's like pretty you, rare. Yeah, you're just not gonna find those people all around you all the time without going super deep. Like it took Kenny and I like about a year and a half, two years to even season that relationship for us to find out that, oh yeah, we both have what it takes to be super successful entrepreneurs and for us to come together and to build this business together and have the desire to have systems and processes and not just be a total 100% hustle type of business. Mm-hmm. I think that um, that was super unique because I've, I've had multiple partnerships in the past where it used to be two hustlers. That was, that was the first um, partnership. It was me and then another guy. We were two hustlers. And then the next one was I was a hustler. I was the hustler. And then my partner was the integrator or he was the one that was willing to do whatever it takes, but he was not very experienced when it came to real estate. And then I have this partnership with Kenny where, yeah, we're both hustlers in our own regards, but he takes that role of making the money on the outside for the company. And I take the role on the inside of the company and doing whatever it takes in order to scale, whether it's finding programs for us to educate one another, finding coaching, building bigger relationships, raising the financing. Um, There's just a lot of different things. I also do a lot of advisory for the business because I have the different experiences in being a real estate buyer, being an investor, I have a larger portfolio. So that doesn't mean that I'm the expert as much as I just have a little bit more experience than he does in terms of owning real estate and converting it into the most profitable opportunity. And Kenny could just find the opportunity and then we make sense of what it is. But um, the main goal ultimately is to teach other people like yourself, like you're joining us as our acquisitions agent and we really appreciate you. And I want to teach you how to find or he's teaching you how to find great opportunities, but I'm also trying to give you the skill set of defining like exit strategies on how do we evaluate these different properties so that we can maximize our profits. So it's just not always you have to go back to your supervisor or you have to go back to me or Kenny to know exactly know what to do. Buy. Yeah. yeah, you, like, just, you just lock them up. Yeah. When you, I was like, what do I do with this person? Which yeah. one? Which one? Tell the story. The uh, So I called a guy and it's this older investor and he has I think like seven or eight properties that he owns paid off and he wants to get rid of them each year because I found out yesterday he said that someone told him you shouldn't sell more than one property a year. I don't really know why. I, I'm guessing for tax purposes. Um, yeah. So I was like, there's got to be something here that we could use. And you mentioned a couple of strategies. But I think the biggest thing with that guy, he's just not really that motivated because he has money. He doesn't yeah. need to get rid of them. He doesn't have bad tenants, which is fine. But Yeah. You can still make a deal with people who are not super motivated as long as they're reasonable and even if they give you good terms when i say terms you know like seller finance or subject to those are more complicated things that we could talk about in terms of the creative finance aspect of real estate in the future but if you can give them the price or the terms that works for them and works for you then yeah you can make a deal yeah and you know i've worked with people who have money and like my some of my first deals, actually my first buy ever was a 
um, I wouldn't call it creative finance. It was a seller finance, but they were just yeah. For Tell 20. me about it. So I think it was December of 2020 that I bought my first couple rental properties, and I didn't have any credit. I didn't have two years of tax returns, and I had just completed doing two flips with my one with my previous partner Johnny, and then one with my parents. And I think I had about 50, 60 grand stacked up. And what I had done was I'm doing what we're doing right now in terms of marketing for deals. And I had cold called. So this was actually when I was a super hustler and I was willing to cold call whatever number it took in order to find these deals. And eventually our VAs, so actually the same VAs that we have today are the same VAs that helped me get my original first deals. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So it's pretty awesome. But I had gotten these deals funneled into my Podio, into my CRM, essentially. And, and what was it like a list that you got? Yeah. So I think I had gotten absentee owner. I don't know if it was high equity or not, but it was definitely an absentee owner. You know, and they're generally landlords, rental property. And I don't know if there was any additional distress that I put on that list, but I just put it for our county. And I put it for uh, absentee owners and we cold called the list or I got the list. I skip traced it. And then the VAs, the virtual assistants, they cold called everybody. And then we are able to get responses. And I just see these leads inside of our CRM. And I'm the one that I'm the designated closer. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I was the designated closer. I was the transaction coordinator. I did everything. It was just me at that point. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I had followed up with, you know, the, um, these sellers. Their name is Tom and Ellen. And I have such a great relationship to this day. We're like such good friends, just text and talk business. Like, I think right now they're building their dream house down south and... I'm just waiting for it to be done so I can go to the housewarming party, which is crazy. What's crazy is that I've actually never met these people in person. I've only met Tom in person. I've never met his wife, Ellen. Um, Oh, because it was during COVID. So was everything virtual or? They also just lived down south. They were big ballers. They bought like a $1.5 million house and they flipped it for like 2.3 just because the market got so good. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) they, they lived on the water in in Lewis, Delaware. And then they moved inland just a little bit, lived in a rental house. And then they, you know, they're starting to build their dream house right now and it's almost complete. But going back to the main topic, like I think they had three rental houses that they were selling at that time. I think it was just one that I had inquired about, but then they were thinking about selling the other two as well. And were were they listings or? They were not listings. Okay, you called them and they were thinking about selling it. They were direct to seller off-market deals. and. The one house was twenty five grand. It's terrible. The guy was paying five hundred dollars a month. He, I don't even know if the house is considered habitable, honestly. But they're in between rehabs, in between tenants, and this is when they're old tenants. And the guy asked, "Hey, do you have any places that I can rent? Like, it doesn't matter what the condition is. I just need to uh, have a place to stay." So they gave him this rental unit, which is, I was like, "Dang it! This guy had like gotten to any accidents with this yeah. house. It's over." But at the same time, would it actually be over? Because, yeah, this is a controversial topic when it comes to landlords and tenants. Like, tenants can't really sue you if they don't have a lot of money or if they don't have resources or know-how. 
And then landlords generally have the know-how to get out of it. They have the legal team, they have the money. So if you run out of money, you can't pay the lawyers and the tenant, tenant's yeah, kind of screwed. Yeah. yeah, the tenant's just kind of screwed. But I've never gone through that process. I don't think they've actually gone through it all the way. But that could also be like the tenant ran out of money. So he just got drawn out and nothing actually ever happened. But yeah, they had the house for sale for $25,000. And they were just looking for about 20% down or 25% down. And they were going to do a seller finance note really? for 7% interest only for the remaining balance for seven years because they were 58 retiring at 65 and they just wanted the money to come in as like as they're the, retiring yeah as they were retiring because right now he's working his job as a police officer she's working her job uh running her businesses as she runs cycling studios so super badass but they sold the house to me i think the balance was eighteen thousand seven hundred seventy five because i just i don't know i looked at it recently or something like that because I had to, so I, I gave him like six grand to buy the house and the closing cost. Closing, yeah. Okay. And then they gave me the mortgage for eighteen thousand dollars, and I had like another thousand dollars in closing fees because it's just such a tiny transaction. Yeah. It's so crazy, and just like that, I think it was December sixth, twenty twenty, came landlord. That's so you bought it with that guy in there running it out for five hundred. Yeah, I bought it. Where's the property at? Uh, it's in Newcastle. Okay. It's in Newcastle. So it's an end unit, small house. Yeah. It's not a real home. It is a duplex, you know, but separate parcels. Yeah. So the guy just has the, the, um, the corner of the street, but yeah, it was renting up for 500. I needed to give him a rent increase to about 650 or I was like, like, Hey, I need to fix this thing. <laughs> Cause so how much was the work. mortgage and everything? It was about a hundred eighty dollars. Wow, hundred eighty dollars, and the taxes was literally like twenty thirty dollars a month. Yeah, I don't know what these numbers are, man, but it's That's crazy. crazy. So you were cash flowing like probably like three hundred bucks. Yeah, uh, or whenever I needed to make a sp- expense or I needed to do a repair, it was gone. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it, all any of the money that I've made from this guy, it's all gone. And then he just recently left. Uh, I gave him the two, three months notice. He left and he owed me about two grand, but I was more than happy to just cut my losses knowing that this guy's finally gone. I can, he didn't, he had never sued me, but he did leave a mess and we're demoing it tomorrow. So I'm pretty happy about that. We get to clean up the entire property, get like not get any more citations from the city because they're charging me. For what? Because uh, I think the guy left a mattress on the lawn or something. Oh. But that was. Yeah. So. Was it in like working condition? Like, was there heat or cooling or really? Everything was there. Everything was there. But the second floor, the framing was messed up, like uneven. Mm -hmm. And there were some things like wrong with the plumbing. Like when we go through this renovation, yeah, we're going to have to do a full gut renovation. Take everything out, rip out all the walls, take it down to the studs, replumb everything, make sure everything's nice. And then we're going to put back up the drywall. And then do all the nice finishes, and hopefully we get to rent it out for like twelve, thirteen hundred bucks. Um, how, how much is that rehab going to cost? About thirty-five, forty thousand dollars for that small house. How big is it? Uh, nine hundred square feet, 
two bed, one bath. So hopefully it won't be 40 grand. Less is better. Yeah. But I also bought two houses uh, from Tom and Ellen for 90 grand on that street as well. So the same people who sold me this house on the corner, they also sold me two more houses on the street and I was able to buy them, pick them up for 90 grand. Both yeah. for 90 grand? Together for wow. 90 grand. Yeah. Dude, what does this neighborhood look like? It was rough. It was yeah. rough when I first came in. There was a lot of trash, a lot of litter. And what's crazy is that the other side of the street was fine. Really? And then it was just my side of the street. And it was my tenants that yeah. I had. They were just trashing the street and it was not good. But recently we just completed two, um, three renovations on that street because we have four parcels on that street and we completed three out of four. And the only bad tenant that I had left was the one that just recently moved out. So replacing those three tenants and putting them into remodeled homes helped the neighborhood out, the neighborhood out significantly. Mm-hmm. And the street is a lot cleaner, a lot nicer now, and not as much of an eyesore as it used to be. So it's great. Honestly, it's really rewarding to see how a neighborhood that used to look in total shambles and distress come back, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, I was able to make some pretty awesome deals um with these with these sellers back in 2020. So everything got seller financed just 25% down and they financed everything 7% interest only for 5 to 7 years and then I recently got them refinanced and then they also loaned me back the money um a second position mortgages. So they gave me the money again so I can basically put into my business so I can use it as fuel essentially because right now you know Kenny and I running our business is super capital intensive and there's a lot of expenses that come on here and there and we're just trying to keep everything like keep all the lights on as much as we can and we have a lot we have a lot of things going on at once so I think it was just super beneficial for us to get that loan but they're also like privately loaning us money for really? different projects yeah wow and you've never met them in person i only met uh i only met the husband in person and what's crazy is like we were gonna buy a 15 unit portfolio from them um, really so the thing about them was that uh, they bought a lot of their properties between 2005 and 2007 or like 2004 to 2007 and they their goal was to get to like 200 units in the city of wilmington and they had gotten up to about 60 or 70 and the lo- the lending just completely tightened up but they were super smart and everything cash flowed and they got all these tenants and all the tenants were paying their rent throughout the recession so they didn't eat it that hard at all if any when it came to you know renting out and buying property they they might have over leveraged because she was a teacher at the time. He was a police officer. And to mm-hmm. own 70 rental properties, I wouldn't say they overleveraged because they had the cash flow coming in. But it's just like they were able to buy so much more than what a teacher and a police officer could probably do today yeah. in that time. But they were ready to slowly liquidate their portfolio, get everything into seller finance notes, essentially. That was kind of their exit strategy. Mm-hmm. So when we were talking about earlier about the guy who owns a lot of rental properties that are free and clear, yeah, it's not that 
you know, these sellers had everything free and clear, but they're holding on to cash and they're willing to pay out the mortgages so that they can have seller finance notes so that they don't need to take all the money um, all at once, mm-hmm. essentially. It was just more beneficial for them to take payments and then take the whole principal balance when they had less income when they're 65. Because I think they actually plan on just chillaxing really? <laughs> for the last 20 years of their life. I don't know. Yeah. So they're they're still hustling like crazy. She still has her cycling business. I was actually just talking to her and she's trying to sell it. So if anybody <laughs> is interested in buying a cycling business, I don't know what she what she is trying to sell it for, but if there's a buyer for it, she wants to get to meet them. <laughs> like cycling as in bicycling, like Yeah. Where they're like yeah, and like Orange like, Theory. Like, really? Yeah, she has one. So does she own the building or is it just like the She doesn't brand? own the building. She owns the brand, the wow. systems, the processes, okay. the people. And I think that's what makes business at the end of the day is the systems, the process, and the people. And when you think that you have a business or when you think that you have a business that is unsellable, mm-hmm. I learned. Unsellable? Unsellable. So when you learn that you have a business that's unsellable or you feel like you have a business that's unsellable, that's probably a limiting belief because if you have the right systems, the right processes, and you don't work there yourself, mm-hmm. or maybe you do, but you only need to work like five hours a week yeah. or, and you could figure out how to get out of it or you work 20 hours a week, but you can figure out how you can hire or scale this up and then get out of it. Maybe that's an undervalued opportunity, kind of how we look for undervalued houses. So I don't know. I've been getting into this whole random world of um, buying businesses buying businesses, looking at opportunity. When you get into business, you start to realize that there's opportunity all around you. And Mm -hmm. it's a matter of what you say no to more than what you say, or it's a matter of what you say yes to. I guess it's a matter of both, huh? It's a matter of what you (laughs) say yes and no to. Yeah. Because there's just so many shiny objects. And when you become an entrepreneur or whenever you become, um, or you start seeing this vision and mm-hmm. like I think the average person who works a nine to five job don't believe that there's so much opportunity around them. But somebody who is immersed in business, immersed in networking, all these different opportunities are all around you. There's a million ways to make a million dollars, maybe even more. Maybe there's a billion ways to make a million dollars. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you gotta really pick what you're passionate about or where you feel like you can contribute the most to and where you can make a difference because you know i could easily you know talk to a couple friends and figure out how i can start up an acai bowl or smoothie shop and you know maybe cash flow fifty thousand to a hundred grand a year but do i really want to do that figure out the processes am i really that interested on on figuring out how to onboard staff or working with staff who run a smoothie shop not really so that's kind of one of the things that I've kind of been looking at, just studying, looking at businesses and like where are the undervalued opportunities, not for myself, but just training my eye so that I can identify undervalued opportunities. So one of the big things that I'm trying to do, honestly, in the long run is to accumulate a large asset or a large, I want to accumulate a large portfolio of multifamily or commercial assets real estate assets. And what I realized was that, I, yes, I want to do that, but what's currently on my plate right now? And that's currently 
wholesaling properties and flipping and flipping and raising money how did you decide that wholesaling and flipping is like your main thing so wholesaling and flipping is my main thing as that's been the thing that i've been refining and working really hard at for the last two years and it's only been recently that i got into short-term rentals i also got uh, i'm trying to get into the commercial space build those relationships but flipping and wholesaling property well right now we don't have a fully operational business that can run without me so for as long as i need to be involved in it i'm going to dedicate as much time as i possibly can in order to get to the finish line so that i have staff i have people who can run the operations without me and that everybody is winning and everybody's happy in their roles and until i get to that point that's not going to stop being my thing. Yeah. And for me to pick something up on top of that, that would detract me from being better at my thing, mm-hmm. which is flipping and wholesaling properties. Now, would you say you're passionate about that or like you're already in it and you don't want to pivot? Yeah. So I would say I'm like super passionate about real estate and what it could do for people because it's not a super high barrier to entry industry as much as it rewards the people who never stop, never give up. And I find a lot of people of minority races inside of real estate, even though like, yeah, we do find a lot of white people and like they're doing awesome. They're crushing, they're doing amazing things and I commend them for building the businesses that they do. But we also see like a lot of mom and pop, mom and pop type of operators, you know? and they could be 18-year-old kids and or 20-year-old kids or even like, you know, Kenny started this thing at like 45 years old. Yeah. And the business does not discriminate. Or maybe it does. I guess it does to a certain level. <laughs> but the success does not discriminate. I believe that anybody can achieve success in real estate mm-hmm. as a vehicle if they don't stop learning and if they don't stop trying yeah and this is it's just awesome because well you can make ten thousand dollars fifty thousand dollars hundred thousand dollars on one deal or several deals or like you get to control your time essentially you get to schedule people out you get to meet people like if you like talking to people this is a really good industry for you if you don't it could still be a very good industry for you because right now like i'm building a lot of systems I like talking to people. I'm not where I want to be. So So you're but, lonely just building those systems two to five? Yeah. I got my wife working on the bookkeeping, so she's not talking to me either. But we're just in the same room, just grinding at it, man. But yeah, I think there's a place for everybody when it comes to real estate. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of opportunities to partner up if people are willing to be open-minded and to be real and what I also like about it is that there's a lot of vulnerability. There's a lot of self-exploration when it comes to real estate. The opportunity is endless when it comes to this industry because you'll learn so much about yourself. You'll learn so much about what you really want to do and your purposes and your family and what you want to give to the world. And 
I don't know. I think you can learn those things in other businesses as well. But in my experience and talking to other business owners, they don't have the same experience that I do when it comes to real estate because I find that there's a lot of opportunity to also mentor people because, you know, how many people do you talk to? And it's like, I want to get into real estate or I want to house hack or like, dude, I'm interested in houses. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people. Yeah. Not a lot of people are serious though. Not a lot of people are serious, but you're more likely to find people just because of the sheer volume of people who say that they're interested in real estate versus the volume of people who say they're interested, like passionate about stocks or passionate about starting a landscaping business. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the real estate business, there's a lot of opportunity for mentorship. And I think that that's super rewarding. There's a lot of opportunity for doing deals with other people. Like, whether it's people lending you money so you can make them a great return or whether it's somebody who has a seller lead that they're distressed, but they don't know how to solve their problem. Yeah. Where we have the experience and we have the know-how in order to turn that thing into a deal. So not only are we able to create a win-win situation for the seller, but we're also to, we're also able to solve this newer person in the industry, their problems and help them progress along so that they can be more experienced and at the same time, we're monetizing as well on our end um, by providing a service. You know? So how long do you think it's going to take for you to build out those systems and be able to walk away from the flipping business without worrying whether the gears are going to continue to churn? I really hope six to eight months. And I think I need to build out a more concise plan of what I need and where I need to be at certain points along the six to eight month period. Because recently my dad just quit his job and started rehabbing the houses for us. And I'm doing as much as I possibly can to understand his workflow and give him whatever he needs. And in the, this very moment, we're trying to onboard a project manager, um, somebody who expressed a lot of interest, wants to work for a company, loves our vision, and they like the flexibility that we can give them and they think that they could produce the results. Having that person, we have like essentially my dad is the construction manager, and then we have a project manager who documents everything. I think those people alone can get rid of the entire flipping process from us. So whenever we do have a project and we don't we choose not to wholesale and we choose to hold in-house, yeah, we just hand it off to the project manager. They take it from start to finish. And if there's any problems that arise, I'm going to still be there in order to help lead the process, but we're going to turn it into an FAQ. We turn and document that situation so that if we ever come across that for future projects, they can just reference that case study. And we, we hope to come to a point that hey, we experience so many different things that they can problem solve themselves. Mm -hmm. And we want, we want to empower the people in our business to make their own decisions. Yeah. Um, and I hope that within six to eight months, I won't have anything to do when it comes to flipping. I won't need to order dumpsters anymore. I won't need to deliver material. I don't need to schedule out certain people. I'm gonna train somebody in order to do all those different things for the company. So. And how many flips do you want to be doing? Like in six to eight months when you're hands off? Like what type of volume do you want to do? I think we want to hold on or we want to be running 10 to 12 projects at once at all times. Um, 
and we're trying to shoot for 30 to 40 flips, I feel like that's a small number when it comes to our goals, but I can't really expect more at this very moment without the proper systems. But with our broken systems and what we have right now, I think 30 or 40 is pretty realistic. And our current revenue goals for this year's or for our 12th month fiscal cycle is like 1.5 to 2 million bucks. And that's between February of 2022 and February of 2023. So we only have about like six months. And I think we're only at like, I mean, once we close this month, yeah, we'll be at like 100-ish. So we got ways to go. Yeah, well. We have a lot of ways to go. I mean, are, do you think we're on track to We are definitely that? not on track. No. We are definitely not on track. But we have a project that we're going to sell, and we should clear 80. We have another project that you're listing currently, clear 20. So, you know, we set these goals, and we set these timelines so that we can work more urgently, mm-hmm. so that we can continue to execute and we have things to work towards and everyone has their own mission everyone has their own standards that they are trying to adhere to and just check off and as long as we are all focused and know what the mission know what the goal is even if we don't get to the goal by february 2023 at least everyone was working honestly Mm -hmm. you know i don't want to hit uh i don't know maybe it's a blessing and a curse where if our goal was too small and realistic, I still think $1.5, 2000000 dollars we can do if we get our stuff together. But if we set this the goal too low and we hit it, everyone will feel like, oh, you're yeah, so no. awesome, so amazing. Yeah. You don't need to work as hard. You don't have to work anymore. You're you're already done. No, not at all. And I think that even at thirty to forty deals, it's not nearly anywhere close to what our potential is because i'm listening to podcasts i'm listening to such inspiring people who are normal individuals and even like uh i listen to this podcast i listen to steve trang's real estate disruptors and i hear stephanie betters who only did 200 deals last year like wholesale plus new construction so basically 100 and 100 this year she did like 200 and 200 she wow. doubled her volume. And I was like, dude, this is crazy. So for her to build out, and she runs other businesses at the same time. So for her to build up her company to the point that it's so systematic, her real estate wholesaling and construction business doesn't even depend upon her. And I think that we can get to that point. And we can do a lot of volume. And we just need to make the proper relationships we just need to right, meet the right people to bring onto our staff, and we just need to be um, taking really great steps to move the needle forward in our business every single day in order to get to that point. And that's nothing that, hey, we need to feel ashamed of if we don't hit within the next six to eight months to get me out of project management. I'm definitely going to be farther than where I am today, mm-hmm. and I definitely do think that I'll be more than 50% of the way there. So as long as we're making progress, I don't think there's anything to be ashamed about in terms of where we are and then where we'll be and where we want to be. So let's just say in eight months, you're fully hands off. What are you going to do with your time? If I'm fully hands off, I don't know. I think I'm just going to hang out on the beach, (laughs) sip some 
margaritas and go visit Brandon Turner <laughs> in Maui? No. Um, so if I am fully hands off, I'm probably going to be working on another system, another process so that we can figure out how to get a COO, COO, <laughs> a chief operating officer for our company. So like your company that I guess runs the flipping wholesale. Yeah. Flipping and, and wholesale. Whatever's after that. Yeah. So that would generally look like somebody who is very good at tracking the numbers. So the KPIs, holding other people accountable, who knows how to bring on talent. So if we need to hire more acquisition people, we need to hire a transaction coordinator or a disposition agent, anything that we may need, that they have the skills in order to find those people. And if people turn over, then we're able to rehire. So find someone who we could pay a pretty decent salary towards and give them some profit split. They can see the vision. And when we get to that point, um, I'm going to pull back and do less of the residential real estate flipping and wholesaling. I might buy some short-term rentals here and there, may or may not, but I definitely want to focus on building big relationships and doing commercial real estate. I think that that is honestly one of the big games and one of the big challenges that, wow, it's it's a giant to me right now. Mm -hmm. And I always want to be constantly challenged and never feel like there's anything too big for me to take on. And commercial real estate is one of those giants where it's just like, wow, people not necessarily at the point where our company becomes self-sufficient, profitable, and able to hire a CEO, hire all these different roles out. Like Kenny and I will still get paid and be in the owner's box and we will be financially free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we want to be essentially at the point that the flipping and wholesaling business allows us to be financially free for us to work on bigger goals. And we're not buying commercial real estate necessarily to be ultra wealthy or to flex or to send any type of statement about ourselves as much as, hey, we think that this is just a really great opportunity in order to build relationships with the investor community, people who are looking for different types of assets, or maybe we expand on flipping and wholesaling and flip and wholesale commercial properties. Like that's also a whole nother department, a whole nother arm of what the business could be. But right now, like we're good at residential homes. Mm -hmm. We're not masters of it, but we're getting there. And as we continue to develop, maybe we build new houses and that's a whole process in itself. And maybe we eventually replace flipping houses with building houses. And we do commercial buildings. Like in the next three years, I want to get to $50 million of assets under management. And that's a huge goal. That's a super huge goal. And and would that be your five and a half year mark of doing real estate? That would be five and a half years. And I'm not saying that I will own 100% of the $50 million assets under management. I will bring limited partners. I'll bring general partners. I'm going to build another team of people. So it's not just that I want to build a team for this flipping and wholesaling business, but I want to build a team for whatever business that I get into next. And I think the next business that I'll get into will be commercial real estate. And we may use the same strategies 
of you know direct to mark direct to seller marketing to acquire these commercial deals cut out the broker go directly to the seller construct these creative deals and bring in outside investors so that we can create win-win situations and i think that's just a whole nother layer of complexity of problem solving and challenges that i look forward to and i'm super excited about and I constantly like try to practice and look at commercial deals now and sometimes like uh, I'm tempted to pull the trigger and try to do it today but the more time I spend doing that the less time I spend building my wholesale business, flipping yeah. yeah so you're building out this business which is like crazy because a lot of people listening have not even bought their first house yeah so how did you get started day 1 young Jesse so that's a good question. So day one, young Jesse, I had gotten into the business as a realtor um, because my aunt and uncle were looking for somebody to help them with their acquisitions, essentially. Somebody who would look through the MLS, scour for properties so that they can flip. And they were working between 2014 and 2017. Um, and they were burring a bunch of properties. I think they, when I say burr, it's buy, rent, or buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. That's a term coined by bigger pockets, but they had gotten their money out of about 20, 25 houses and they owned all these assets and they're, they're all distressed. And my family was doing construction over on these assets. So what I was initially to them, I was the house cleaner. I was the house cleaner after the construction was complete and I cut all the grass. So I was making decent money every summer. And even during the school year, when I came to visit them on the weekends, you know, they would have me on the schedule to clean the houses on the weekend. And I would listen to the Bigger Pockets podcast so much when I was cleaning these houses. And back then, they were actually talking to a lot of nobodies. They were talking to anybody who was That's messed in up, real estate. Bro. Hey, if they talk to me, I would consider myself a nobody as well. And that would have just been like awesome you know mm -hmm. so i missed days of when it was super easy to get onto the bigger pockets podcast yeah yes, yes. Where are you? i'm in my house why i'm i'm in the middle of recording a podcast man i'm recording a podcast i'm recording a podcast i'm on a radio show okay call me back okay oh my god okay that's my dad yeah i was the house cleaner grass cutter and at that point I didn't know anything about real estate. I, I was listening to all these podcasts while I was cleaning the house. So I would get about five, six hours of listening time. And that really inspired me to take action once I basically knew what I was doing and I had some tools on my belt. So it was fall of 2017. Oh, 2017. Fall of 2017. So, oh, well, we're way back. Yeah. Way back thinking you're gonna buy some rentals with your realtor money yeah but i could not make any realtor money i Why? think in, what happened in the total of my entire career i've only sold five houses and i don't know what it was i guess i didn't have good training opposed to you i think you get really great training and you went the right direction of trying to get like a mentor yeah. and i went the whole Shout route out, <laughs> i went the entire route of trying to do it myself and try to learn everything online but i think Real estate is also very market dependent and different things work at different places. So 
I guess I've never picked up on those things and I failed. <laughs> so that was one of the things that I failed at. And I don't know how I got to the whole topic of wholesaling real estate. There was like at one point in my realtor career, I got in a suit and I hand wrote these letters and I was like, I walked around the neighborhoods that flippers were essentially buying properties and flipping them and i had no clue what off-market transactions were at the time mm -hmm. and i was just like hey i have an investor who would love to buy your house if you would like to have a conversation here contact me at this number i wrote like 30 of them by hand maybe 40 and i walked around this neighborhood knocked on the doors left letters at the stressed houses so at this point i was driving for dollars i was walking for dollars i wasn't even driving for dollars at this point this was spring of 2018 and when I look back at that, I feel really sad because I was so close to getting on the early train of wholesaling real estate where there was so little barrier to entry. Not everybody knew about it. It had not exploded on the internet yet. I think I could have made a million dollars so much sooner if I had understood what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Because what I was doing right there had I just scaled it up, blown it up, I made about $20,000 selling real estate. If I had taken that money and marketed for properties, mm. the fall of 2018, which was basically a year after I got my real estate license, I think I could have been jumping with deals and I could have gotten into a lot of you know, different opportunities, meet the early people in the game who now have like, multi-million dollar operations have full systems and processes but i really do believe that god's timing is perfect and that i didn't miss anything even though that there will be times where we feel like we could have done this or we could have done that well that time is like all in the past and we can't really linger on things that have already passed or have already happened because we can't control what has already happened in the past. We can only control what's going on in the present, which can impact the future. So I had gotten into driving for dollars, I believe the spring of 2019, going into the summer of 2019. So basically a whole year after I was door knocking. And I went driving for dollars with my original partner, Johnny, who we met at church and his dad had flipped about 80 houses at that point maybe 70 but he's been flipping since 20 2015 and their family own an hvac company and i never really asked him that many questions about them flipping houses until like one day you know i talked to him and i was like hey do you want to go drive around look for abandoned houses or things that look like they could possibly be a good deal for us to flip it's like for sure so for about five six weeks straight we invested an hour and a half every single week just driving around these neighborhoods and we would use the deal machine app and we would take pictures front pictures of the houses and the the app would then start a campaign mailing these houses for us so we didn't need to do that anymore um, by hand and within six seven weeks we started having people call in and these were distressed homeowners or people who are motivated to sell their houses. And I was like, oh my gosh, we had somebody who was willing to sell their house to us for about 60 grand. And 
this house, the ARV of this house at that time was about, we thought it was 245 and we thought the construction was going to be $100,000 and maybe even more. Like we had no clue how to estimate. So we convinced them to go down from like 65 down to like, we, we offered them 58.5. They went up to 60,000 and we got that deal. Little did we know we hit a jackpot. Um, it ended up being $60,000 purchase, $60,000 renovation, and we sold it for $257,500. So $257,500. And we ended up profiting $100,000 net. And we also learned a lot of lessons because we also gave the buyer concessions. You know, So we gave them about $15,000 to go to settlement, close on the house. They came in with like virtually no money to buy the house. So what I learned was like, we really did not need to give them that. We did not go to the open market. It was just somebody really? that, yeah, it was somebody that Johnny knew. And I think we could have sold the house for 265 with no concessions. Wow. And that house today is worth like 320, man. It's crazy. The market is doing crazy things. We sold that house May of 2020. And at that point, I made 50 grand, Johnny made 50 grand. I tried to do the marketing thing for our company. I guess I wasn't determined or motivated enough or he wasn't and like I had a different vision he had a different vision because his dad had originally got a lot of leads from wholesalers and he was a really popular guy because he you know was always a closer whenever a wholesaler gave him a deal and it was a good deal he would buy it so then he became a repeat customer so his dad was just able to gobble up these deals and then when his dad retired then johnny started getting all the deal flow from his father and i went a whole different route in terms of you know not having any connections and not knowing anybody i did my own direct to seller marketing and my own acquisitions and then you know things started coming together after about four months of doing it straight and getting new results and i bought you know the three properties on the same street from that one seller one thing led to another I end up actually, you know, the house that we're recording in right now, I got that from a direct-to-seller campaign, and I paid 365000 and I know people who will probably give me half a mil or more for this property. And honestly, I don't want to sell. I'm not going anywhere. We're running an Airbnb next door, and we used to have a roommate that lived here. Shout out to Glenn, the best roommate in the world. I guess now he's the best ex-roommate in the world. <laughs> but... We made so much money, got to live here for free. You know, it's a quadplex. So we get, we have the two units in the back that are also for rent. And this, this thing cash flows like a dream. So this, this house hack honestly gave me the opportunity to not pursue a job after college. Because I was working as an intern for the local utility company. And I was building systems and processes. I didn't even realize that was what I was doing, honestly. <laughs> So I was building systems and processes for this utility company in their project management department as an intern. And I was also promoted to a contractor employee and I was making $40 an hour and I was making 60 on overtime and I got like five hours overtime every single week. And it was good money. I was like basically averaging $75,000 a year, like on route to make that as a senior in college. And because I had three rental properties, I believe at that time, plus I bought the fourplex, so I was at seven units by 2021, like by January of 2021. 
and I graduated December 2020, I decided, hey, I don't want to renew my contractor. Um, I don't want to renew on my contract with working for the utility company, which expired January 2021. And after that, I just cut the ties with the corporate job and I've been working for myself ever since. And that was just a whole process of learning how to flip houses, learning the process, buying different rental assets, working with contractors, raising money. Like it's just the whole nine yards. I've been, I went through it all in 2021, essentially. And now it's 2022 and I have a whole nother vision than when I had first started essentially at the beginning of 2021. So that's kind of my whole story of start to finish or start to where I am now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think one of the main lessons is if you get yourself a house hack when you're young, (laughs) if you get yourself a house hack when you're young, you afford yourself a lot of freedom Mm -hmm. in terms of your time. And even if you're not making a whole lot of money to afford excess, or be able to eat out when you want or do this or do that. Being able to have your time, being able to think, being able to be creative and go to lunch meetings or collaborate with other people, it's worth so much more money than having gotten paid $100,000 working for a corporate job. Yeah. Even if I was young, I mean, I guess I'm still young, but even when if I was like straight out of college and I was making that type of money, I think I was still taking this opportunity because that opportunity over there would have taken up so much more time mm-hmm. and that would take energy and would drive me away from my focus of where I want to go, which is such a bigger vision than just straight working for corporate and then waiting until I make enough money from corporate or wait till I make enough money from my side hustle to quit corporate to pursue my dream. I think it's finding the courage to pursue your dream sooner that is the biggest challenge, but it's also the most rewarding decision once you come to that point in your life. Boom. That's that it. it, guys. That's it. Find the courage to chase your dreams. I yeah. hope everyone liked it. We uh, went in with no topics in mind and just freestyled it. I think we'll continue to improve week by week as we're developing as podcast hosts. Next week, we're going to talk about Josh and his story. I literally have met Josh February of 2022. So it's only been about six months since I've known this guy. Yeah. And he's already been to my wedding. I've been to his wedding. Yes. We went to Vegas together. <laughs> went to Vegas, went to LA. Yeah. And now he's working on our acquisitions department for our wholesaling and flipping company. And he's going to be a killer. He's and I'm a real estate agent too. So Yes. So don't forget you, that. If you want to sell your house or buy a house in Delaware, you know who to call because he sells all my properties. All right. Peace. <laughs> peace.